Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. Hi, my name is Melvin, and it's practically Halloween. Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine, a non-spoiler Christian movie podcast where we sit at the table of cinema and eat. Tonight we'll be dining on Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Would you believe it that this is my second Tarantino movie? In fact, I had only watched his film Reservoir Dogs about a month before this one. I had this plan to watch all of them in preparation for this, and while I really wanted to do that, things just get busy. I wanted to get to know his style, how he directs, his writing, all that jazz, but Again, things were just crazy, and I couldn't squeeze in the time. And yet, after seeing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think I lucked out. I've heard from a fair amount of people that, out of all of Tarantino's work, this one was a tad different to his usual fare. It's a quaint, small narrative, as opposed to some grand, complex story with an overabundance of cartoonish characters. Of course, I can only surmise that that's his usual thing. Like I said, I haven't seen enough of his work to make up my mind, but after watching his debut feature and latest film, I can say without a doubt that I'm more than eager to dig into his filmography. So let's learn about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. To save myself the trouble of making up a synopsis, I'll just take this from IMDb. Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood visits 1969 Los Angeles, where everything is changing. As TV star Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and his longtime stunt double Cliff Booth, played by Brad Pitt, make their way around an industry they hardly recognize anymore. The ninth film from the writer-director features a large ensemble cast and multiple storylines in a tribute to the final moments of Hollywood's golden age. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is rated R for language throughout, some strong graphic violence, drug use, and sexual references. The language is pervasive. The graphic violence is ridiculously cartoonish, but only happens a few times. Drug use is throughout with smoking and drinking. And the sexual references are also not very common, only happening a few times here and there. Before I begin, if you've come to enjoy Cinematic Doctrine and would like to support the show, be sure to leave a review on your respective podcast app at the end of this episode. Also, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can help me choose a movie to review once every pay cycle through a patron-only voting poll, as well as take joy in feeding my coffee addiction. Any amount is appreciated, with multiple tiers to choose from, and will all go toward making Cinematic Doctrine the best podcast it can be. Now, as I shared, this is my second Tarantino movie. With that said, I'll admit that I can't speak too much as far as rating this film against his others. But also, I don't think I'd want to do that anyway. 
I don't actually think I've done that with many other reviews as far as I'm concerned, and in all honesty, I don't think I like that form of reviewing anyway. Although, come to think of it, I think I did that with my The Happening review, where I briefly talked about M. Night Shyamalan's movies, but I think that was regarding his career less so much about the film itself. I can, however, speak to this film as a film, as I would like any other film, so let's do that. On Letterboxd, I have a list titled Comfy Movies. The criteria to have a movie added to this list is that, while watching the film, I think to myself, this is a comfy movie. And if that holds up throughout the screening, I end up adding it to the list. Films like First Reformed, The Dead Don't Die, even The Room land themselves in this list. And now I can say that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has landed itself comfortably at the end of it. I had a good time with Hollywood. It was fun, hypnotic. Perhaps a little too slow-paced for most audiences, but, you know, just right for me. As far as I'm concerned, that was one of the greatest qualities this film had to offer. I've described it to a few friends of mine like this. Hollywood is the kind of film that easily immersed me into its world. While watching, I never wanted to leave. When it was over, I just wanted to go back. That's difficult for a film that's 2 hours and 40 minutes to achieve. Especially when the first half of the film is filled with non-stop scenes of characters driving around L.A., I mean, holy cow, there are so many sequences where characters get into their car and drive around. At first it feels a little ridiculous, what with all the screen time spent on vehicles driving around, waiting at stoplights, parking, looking at people who they're driving past, stuff like that. Yet I think back to classic films and how much time feels wasted from vehicles traveling to characters walking, and how Tarantino seems to evoke golden age Hollywood tropes over and over, both good ones and bad ones. There's even a moment where the film hard cuts mid-conversation. You hear a quick snapping noise and a hat magically appears on a character's head. It's jarring, but a moment later you realize it's supposed to be an imitation of a projector skipping for a second. But despite the cool ways in which Tarantino evokes certain qualities of Golden Age Hollywood, I don't think he does it enough to warrant significant praise, at least in this respect. For instance, that hard cut projector skip only happens once, Frankly, that's fine, since it may become a little disorienting if it happened over and over and over, but its mere inclusion becomes debatable as far as quality is concerned. In other words, it happens too little to be considered a stylistic fingerprint. It may be one aspect to a whole film seeking to evoke certain qualities, but seems a little strange when looking at the film as a whole. I want to be clear that it isn't so much nitpicking as it is recognizing certain aspects that, in some respect, are a bit weak. In some ways, I must admit, they aren't weak at all. Part of what I mentioned earlier about being immersed in the film's world is emphasized because of these qualities. It's these occasional one-off jokes, tropes, and choices that help to keep me on my toes. For instance, there are a few other sequences in which text shows up on screen to clarify certain segments. One particular scene shows an in-world movie where Rick Dalton is driving a car across an opening bridge. As the car flies over, the screen stops. A bell rings, and the words Cliff are written on the screen, with an arrow pointing at the car to show that, in actuality, Cliff is the one driving. It's funny, it's cute, but this sort of thing happens every 25 minutes, and in a movie that's closing in on three hours long, it's both a breath of fresh air and a little disorienting at the same time. Now, as far as the story is concerned, there really isn't one. Or at the very least, this isn't an epic, sprawling three great acts culminating in an intense showdown between protagonist and antagonist. Really, it's just a story about two close friends and the things that happen in their lives. Some people have described Hollywood as plotless. It has nuance to its characters, but most of the runtime is reserved to short events in their lives. I would agree with this assessment. 
But I think it's important to mention that a story being called plotless isn't a bad thing. On the contrary, when done well, a plotless story becomes incredibly personal. Let's take a look at Rick Dalton. His introduction is a scene saturated with insecurity. From a light stutter to self-deprecation, this is a man who is smack dab in the middle of his midlife crisis, and there is no light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely none. But thankfully, he has the company of his good friend Cliff Booth to keep him focused amidst his troubles. Following this, scene after scene paints a picture of a man who is terrified of the reality set before him. He's gone from household name to guest star, and soon a fading memory. And there's nothing he can do to stop it. Meanwhile, you have a character foil in Cliff Booth, who is this everyman tough guy. Honestly, he's like a cross between a bruiser and a snuggly teddy bear. From his ever-present sly grin to carefree lifestyle, Cliff isn't so worried about being a has-been since his job as Rick's stunt double has always put him in the background. That isn't to say he's apathetic to Rick's plight. In fact, as most good friends are, he's always by Rick's side. And I think that's where we start to see the film shine. Although a lot of the movie sees Rick and Cliff apart, they're never that far off. Whether together or separate, there's an awareness of the relationship the two have with one another, whether it be how Rick so outwardly depends on Cliff's help for menial tasks, let alone being his stuntman, or how Cliff is always riding around in Rick's car. There's always some sort of connective tissue between the two that builds on their close relationship. But again, if I liked anything most, it was definitely the charismatic relationship between Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth. And I think I'd like to watch some more stories between the two, even if they are plotless. And a brief aside, with that in mind, there's speculation that a four-hour director's cut of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood will see itself debut on Netflix sometime in the future, akin to the treatment Tarantino's film The Hateful Eight received earlier this year. If that's the case, I will eagerly give that version a watch, because like I said, I just want to go back to Hollywood. And when I go back, I wonder if a second time around will bring new things to light. For instance, Hollywood is very much about times changing, both over a long period of time and short. How things may not be what you expected, how things you remember have been repurposed for something else. It's all about change, both comfortable and uncomfortable, and how those emotions can encourage and discourage us. For instance, we've already mentioned Rick Dalton's existential crisis. He's filled with dread over his career. He feels like he's already peaked, and that, you know, it's all downhill from here. And nothing will ever get better. He'll never be important to anyone. He's always going to be sidelined. He's going to be phased out. He's already getting prepared to be replaced. He's obsolete, like a pair of used batteries, an outdated appliance, or maybe even a busted tool. One of the greatest things that Hollywood has to offer is this entire section where Rick's at a shoot for a serialized western. He plays the villain, and from arriving on set, preparing in his trailer, waiting for the shoot to start, reciting lines, waiting in his trailer again, and finally finishing a day's work, he looks physically ill. A toll has been taken, a weight has been bearing down on his shoulders, and there's something deeply upsetting him about the entire experience. Of course, we know what that's all about. We know why he is the way he is. We know what's so upsetting. He's actively looking down the barrel of his future, taking part in deconstructing the bridge to continued success. If he keeps playing the villain on all of these shows, everybody is going to associate him with failure. They're going to see him as this week's bad guy taken down by our new younger hero, rather than the classic no-nonsense roughneck hero of Bounty Law, the show that made his name. And soon, nobody will want him in their movie, show, or anything. He'll go from strong, to weak, to nothing. 
Meanwhile, Sharon Tate, played by Margot Robbie, visits a theater that's playing one of her movies, and despite being one of the lead characters, nobody even recognizes her. Neither the ticket saleswoman nor the manager has any idea who she is until Sharon clarifies, then clarifies again, who she is. Sometimes it feels like changes are gradual, and others arrive at the snap of a finger. When I think about great change in my life, even if it comes at a gradual pace, it can feel as though it simply sprouted the second it happened. Just look at this August, for instance. I feel like August 1st was yesterday, and it's already the 28th by the time this was posted. I mean, can you even believe that? If there's anything to take away from Hollywood, it's not only this running theme about change and the way it affects us and the world around us, it's the importance and freeing power of patience. If not, at the very least, the cathartic experience of patience. Think about it this way. Although this doesn't solve everyone's crisis, one of the things about going through hard times, whether it be a self-conscious struggle or physical one, sometimes it's only a matter of time before relief arrives. And not necessarily a matter of acceptance, like a cynical, well, I'm here, it's the lowest I've ever been, might as well get comfortable. Not that. But more like the idea that life functions like seasons. I'm reminded of Psalm 1, which starts... Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It then follows up with this. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Most notably, I was reminded that as tried and true Christians, people who delight in the law of the Lord, we yield fruit in our season. And by fruit, the passage is likely implying the act of making something or making things happen. That means that as the seasons change, sometimes we don't yield fruit, we don't make anything, and we are waiting for the next season. Our leaves won't wither, so, you know, we're not dead. But sometimes we're not producing fruit because we're in a period of growth, hibernation, rest, who knows? Or maybe we're yielding fruit, and we don't even know it. It feels like we're doing nothing, and we're just fading away, but in reality, we might be doing a whole lot of good. Strangely enough, this is where I think a plotless film has the potential to be relatable. Nothing is really happening, yet so much is taking place. It's like a fresh marinade. You need to wait a bit to realize what's going on, and by the time it comes to fruition, you realize how much was taking place right before your eyes. Or in the refrigerator. Something plotless, something that essentially limits itself to short events and its characters reacting to them, opens itself to evoking daily life. Because let's be real, sometimes it feels like we're going day after day after day with nothing happening. I don't know about you, but my life is often a series of small events and my reactions to them. I'm not out there saving the world. I'm not the chosen one. I'm not a hero. I'm just Melvin Benson, this dude who writes a non-spoiler Christian movie podcast who likes to eat cheese cubes and wants to write a book. My life is pretty plotless when you get right down to it. And yet, I can feel the weight of having produced no fruit. To reach a point in my daily life where I look back in my life, look at it now, and then look forward, and I go, I feel like I was something, now I'm only a guest star, and soon I'll be a fading memory. In other words, I'm only 23, and I can really sympathize with Rick Dalton emotionally muttering, I'm a has-been, old buddy. But we bear fruit in our seasons. And like harvest before winter, sometimes we do our best just before we do our worst. Or other times, we don't realize how much fruit we bear until it's already been plucked and enjoyed by those around us. We just need to wait until they can tell us that it was good. 
In fact, this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I'm totally going off script here, but it is about 10 p.m. on Wednesday night, and I'm just a little delirious. Um, I I definitely sympathize with Rick Dalton's struggle to be like, I am I am doing nothing. I have no value. I Even though I am doing my work, even though I am making my shoots on time, even though I am getting my lines, that kind of thing. Um, that's sort of calling back to that scene uh, where he's on set for the new serialized Western show. And I really get that, that idea that you just think, even if you are doing something, it has no value or people misunderstand. Um, sometimes I think about that with this podcast. I sometimes think that it's just something that maybe I misunderstand, other people misunderstand, maybe I'm not doing it. Uh, and it has any value, that kind of thing. I, it's it's just very interesting. It's something I sympathize with as a content creator, as someone who wants to do things, produce things, and then open myself up to criticism. Um, so I just thought that that was a really interesting thing. I did not write that down, uh, but as I was working on this, I kept thinking to myself, wow, like there is something so much more to this movie that I just haven't even talked about, thought about, or, or connected with uh, yet until now. So there you go. There's some uh, unedited, unscripted, random thoughts with your host, Melvin Benson. Oh, gosh. I just re-listened to that, and it just sounded like something out straight out of uh, eighth grade. <laughs> Anyways, back to the show. If anything, Hollywood is equal parts change and patience, whether it be exercising patience for change or changing and having to be patient about that. Nearly every character is wrestling with something changing in 1969, whether it be Hollywood, their relationships, or their own selves. How Tarantino does this is quite fascinating, especially when he's dragging his audience through an incredibly slow-paced two hours and 40 minutes. But don't worry. If you find it hard to put up with that style of filmmaking, it's all worth it in the last 20 minutes. Make it to the end, and trust me, you'll be more than happy you did. And with that, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, what did you think of it? Did you enjoy the strangely hypnotic pacing, or were you falling asleep from start to finish? If you're listening on CinematicDoctrine.com, let me know with a comment below or shoot me an email to CinematicDoctrine at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, jump on over to Cinematic Doctrine's Facebook page and be sure to follow for updates on episode, movie news, and my usual shenanigans. You can also support the show by leaving a review for Cinematic Doctrine on your respective podcast app. And if that's not enough, head on over to Cinematic Doctrine's Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can help me choose a movie to review once every payment cycle during a patron-only movie poll, as well as take joy in feeding my coffee addiction. Any amount is appreciated with multiple tiers to choose from and will all go toward making Cinematic Doctrine the best podcast it can be. Also, if you're on Letterboxd, I have a comprehensive list of every movie I've reviewed on Cinematic Doctrine with direct links to those episodes, so be sure to check that out. All of this will be available in the show notes. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.